that you may speak to us. In the name of Jesus.
ditch me always show me always I want to Teach me always, show me always, I want to know you. Lord, this is not going to be an ordinary word. It's, it's a word direct from your heart to our hearts. In Jesus' name. Somebody say amen and amen. I want us to go to, want us to, go to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Chapter 5, we're going to read 1 and 2, then we go to 4 and 6. Alright, okay. So, I'm going to read using Good News Translation. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, 1 and 2, then I'll, I'll skip going to 4 to 6. The Bible says, Be careful about going to the temple. It is better to go there to learn than to offer sacrifices like foolish people who don't know right from wrong. Think before you speak. Turn and think before you speak. So if you've ever taught someone think before you speak, just go to the scripture there. And don't make any rash promises to God. He is in heaven and you're on earth. So don't say any more than you have to. Verse 4, the Bible says, when you make a promise to God, keep it as quickly as possible. He has no use for a fool. Do what you promise to do. And verse 5, the Bible says, better not to promise at all than to make a promise and not keep it. Verse 6, don't let your own words lead you into sin so that you will have to tell God's priests that you didn't mean it. You make a pledge on your own and you tell the man of God, I was just joking. Why make God angry with you? Why should you upset God? Why let him destroy what you have worked for? So I'm going to share um, on something that I've entitled How to Prepare for an Encounter with God. This is part three. We did part one and two. How would you prepare yourself when you come in the house of God? When you're attending a spiritual meeting, when you're attending a conference, when you're attending an overnight, when you're attending a seminar, a midweek service, maybe a prayer service, Sunday service, any spiritual meeting. How do you how do you carry yourself? The Bible says you have to be careful. You have to watch yourself, your step as you go into the house of God. Now, I want you to know that your attitude has got the power to affect how people will treat you and how you relate with people. 
in the natural realm, your man is speaking. You will notice that it is very easy to relate with some people and it's difficult to relate with some people. What makes it hard? There are some people that have got a good attitude. It's very easy to relate with them. It's very easy to even accord them the help and the attention that is needed. But if you are dealing with a person that has got a very, very bad attitude, it may block you from effectively helping them. We can't even pretend. We find it easy to help people that have got a good attitude. So if someone is asking for help and they have a pleasant, they have a pleasing attitude, you will easily help them. But if someone has a challenge and they have a bad attitude, you may want to help them. But their bad attitude is able to discourage you. And we, we are able to see from the scriptures, not just from the scripture, but from the scriptures, that God's response actually depends on our attitude. God's response is largely affected by our attitude. What is attitude? Attitude refers to how you respond to things how you look at things, how you behave, and so much more. So the same way poor attitudes will block people from helping us, a poor attitude in the presence of God can hinder us from receiving what God has in store for us. God wants to work on us before he can work out things in our lives. Let me say it again. God wants to work on us before he can work out on things in our lives. God wants to change us before he can change things in our lives. Are we clear on that one? Now, I want us to read our main scripture. I took you back to Ecclesiastes chapter 5 because that's where we started from. So I want to take you to... Um, What's wrong with the projector? I didn't get what you said. It's not working. Or oh, the laptop. Okay. Let's go to Luke chapter 18, verse 9 to 14. Luke chapter 18, verse 9 to 14. Now, this is where Jesus tells a story that concerns the Pharisee and the tax collector. I'm sure we, we are familiar with this story and we are just going to learn something in line with our topic and we'll be done. If you are in Luke chapter 18 and verse 9, say Amen. amen. Check if your neighbor has a Bible. The Bible says that he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves. Luke chapter 18, verse 9 to 14. He spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves. The purpose of Jesus sharing this parable 
is actually already outlined that Jesus was tackling the issue of pride. So he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. These are people that thought highly of themselves and despised others. Understand, the Bible says two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee. Okay, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee. And the other a tax collector. Pharisee. Tax collector. And of Pharisees, these were learned men. They knew the law of God. These guys, they felt like they were, they were, for lack of better terms, they felt like, they felt like they were More like deputy gods. They felt they were so close to God that they despised other people. Tax collectors were not liked by the majority of people because of their corrupt practices. You don't know what's not so. And then these two men went to the house of God. Let's go to verse 11 quickly. The Pharisees stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you. He entered his gates with thanksgiving. He qualified. Glory to God. Obviously, he knew Psalms 100 this fall. I thank you that eh? instead of just thanking God for his faithfulness, for his mercy, he says, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. You imagine you're praying, you're even saying, God, I'm not like what you to but not even like this guy. And verse 12. He says, I fast twice a week. There is nothing wrong with fasting. But you don't fast to beat others. You fast to enhance your personal relationship with God. You don't fast to beat others. You fast to beat your yesterday's level. I fast twice a week. And he says, I give tithes of all that I possess. Nothing wrong with tithe. But you don't tithe in order to be seen and appreciated by men. You tithe to and for the glory of God. Moreover, nobody sees how much in that envelope that you're going to give. I have seen there are some people that whenever they are holding their tithe, there is how they hold it. 
Pela coimo, baiaui. Tchanai, me vem. Pela. And there are people who just look at the number of envelopes that go in the basket and they are there saying, ah, there was a young But let me tell you what we did. We've actually allowed transparency and uh, the treasury department, they check. And one time I remember, these, these people were honest with me. They said, Pastor, when we, whenever we saw envelopes, we thought, you know what I'm talking about, right? And then when they saw the amounts, they said, ah, gosh, people just give. There are people who are just faithful. They will decide to tithe. Maybe from a third quarter, they will tithe three quarter. From a fifty quarter, they will tithe five quarter. So he says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all. I give tithe of all. This, this is a topic of its own. There are people who only tithe from their monthly income and they don't tithe from their side hustle and you know, and that's why even this is very consistent with Proverbs 3 verse 9 that you give God the best from all that you are. Let's go to verse 13. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven. He could not even go to the altar. He felt so unworthy. And when he was praying, he could not even look up to heaven. You know, when somebody is looking down, it is a sense of shame. He was ashamed of his sin because he knew his position. But he beat his breast, he beat his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. At verse 14, Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house, the tax collector, went down to his house justified and not the other one. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And to the tax collector, many others in Chepesa, and I end to be justified is to be made right with God and not the other person. So today I want to share on a subtitle The Posture of Humility in God's Presence. The Posture of Humility in God's Presence. The Importance of Humility in God's Presence. There are many people who come in God's presence full of themselves, expecting God to fill them. Let me not go ahead of myself, but let me say this. You cannot expect God to fill you if you are already full of yourself. So you've got to empty yourself of yourself in order for God to fill you with himself. So, when you are awake, it's not possible. And that's where we sing songs like, 
So you have to decrease in order for God to increase. But there are people that have they have a certain ego even when they come in God's presence. Have you observed that Jesus was actually more humble than many people who were representing him? Jesus was very simple and humble. He was not even as complicated as we pastors are. We are taught in the Bible how Jesus moved from city to city, village to village. We are even taught he was in this village. But we have all of us pastors. We are clustered together in, in the city. I am called for the blogger. <laughs> we all want to be in Lusaka. Don't even go very far. If you have to just go by 10 miles up. Ten, don't even go very far. 10 miles. Just go a few kilometers inside. It's a very sorry site. There are very few churches. And most it's the, it's the Orthodox guys that are penetrated. If you have to ask the Pentecostal guys like ourselves, they will say, ah, will you pay offering? That's what they're focusing on. But what's my what's my point today? I'm talking about the posture of humility in God's presence. You cannot come in God's presence full of yourself. You have to humble yourself. So if you go when I'm present, and we have been taught that those who exalt themselves will be humbled. So in this account of the Pharisee and the tax collector, we see two different kinds of people. We see a man who was humble and we see a man who was proud. And these two people, they talk about how we carry ourselves on a daily basis. The first thing that you notice is an attitude of pride is demonstrated by wanting to be seen by other people, doing something wanting to be seen. Which touching do so that you trust the one you do you know that there are people that can even sing a very powerful worship oppressor? As long as nobody claps for them, they will go home downcasted. Nobody clapped for me. And then there are people that will always go to people. Why my phone said, let me tell you one thing that satisfies me. I know sometimes a message from God will not even be that impressive. A message from God will not have people applauding and clapping for you. Sometimes people don't clap because you've, you've touched them somewhere. 
So, even for you as ministers that are coming up, you don't share the gospel. Always expect people to clap for you and always expect people to send you a message. That was powerful. Deacon, sir. No one preaches like you in church. And you, you, some of you, you, you want someone to come and tell you, you know the way you're preaching. You're about to make pastor retire. Early. All the tithe will start coming to you. If the pastor was to let God forbid, you can even get his wife. But all I'm saying is, what you're able to see in the Pharisee is that when he entered the temple, don't forget Ecclesiastes 5. The Bible says, watch your step. Be careful. The Bible says the Pharisee, when he entered, he stood. So meaning he paraded himself in such a way that he wanted people to see him. Don't forget, go and study Matthew 6, a very, very powerful principle when it comes to how we relate with God. The Bible says that the Father who sees what you do in secret will reward you openly. But there are people who do things openly. And the Bible says, if you do things openly, your reward is already there. If you are doing things for the sake of man, it is man who will reward you. If you are doing God for the sake of God, and if you are doing things for the sake of God, it is God who will reward you. So we want our spirituality to be seen. He stood and he went to the altar. He was praying. We also want to be praised by men. We want things our way, not the will of God. We are not asking God. We are telling God. That's what many people do. And that is why sometimes, I'm sure you heard us saying this times without number. But sometimes it just feels wrong to say, we are going to pray. Begin tell God. A lot of believers tell God. They don't ask God. Most of the things we just found, we just adopted them. We are now going to tell God. If we can be honest with ourselves, we are, we are guilty of doing these things in the presence of God. All of us, in one way or the other. There are many people who come to church just to be seen, not to have an encounter with God. There are people who even come to church just to protect their position in church. Take away the position. You will take away their commitment. There are many people who are committed to their position and their title and not to God. Now let me tell you one thing. I've heard people tell me stuff like I was in the church Let's be honest. How many of you have, have heard? Some of you have even said that. Some of you even say it in your heart. Pastor, I'm not going to commit me. Even more, let me tell you one thing. 
Those, those of you that know me, even before I became a pastor, uh, uh, before I'm a pastor, I'm a child of God. I'm a Christian. I'm just a committed believer. We never used to this church. Never. Even if it was heavily ready, we would get soaked just to go to church. We would, would walk long distances just to go to church. So even for men of God, while we are telling people to be committed, we should not remove ourselves from the equation. A man of God is not God's cousin. You are still a child of God. So there are people who take it. There are things that go to church in the Pumla. So when they prepare the worship, they so so they don't make sure. I don't think that's really cool. Most of them are not are we praying to you or what? Where is the fear of God? Let me tell you one thing. I've learned one principle from my pastor. She went to heaven. I will not talk to you as if in heaven yonder. I'm preaching the word here not because I'm, I'm perfect. Not because I'm better than you. But because I am privileged by I'm standing here as someone who still believes in God for salvation. Are you clear on that one? I'm not, I'm not a superstar. I'm not a celebrity. I'm a servant of God. And the servant says, so if you only do things for the attention and the approval of men, it is men that will reward you. But if you're doing things for the glory of God, it is God who will want you. Now what is very sad is that many people are committed to what they do, to what they are called and not God. So what are some of the ways we exhibit pride like the Pharisee will become in God's house? I'm going to share three things quickly and then we'll go to the tax collector and we'll be done. Number one, an attitude of pride is demonstrated by wanting our spirituality to be known to God. You can go back to the stem. How do you remind God who you are? God who knows everything. God who says, I knew you before you were born. How do you tell God who you are? There are people who are too positive that even in their prayers, God is shocked. Prayer is an act of humility. Let's go to this letter. I thank you that I'm not like other men. He was telling God. We can never manipulate God. God knows everything. He knows our hearts. He 
knows our minds. Overall, he knows our intentions. We cannot manipulate God. You can manipulate a man. You can manipulate others. But you can never manipulate God. You can bribe people, but you can never bribe God. So imagine the Pharisee is praying and is reminding God. He's telling God who he is and what he does. And number two, how does this attitude of pride manifest in our lives? I said number one, we want to remind God. We want to tell God who we are and what we deserve. How many of you have heard of statements like, in a kachimunga mungje, salman yang. You've heard of such things, not so. So it's like you're saying God is unfair in that moment. Number two, an attitude of pride is demonstrated by comparison. When you begin to compare yourself with others, Because the Pharisee looked around when he stood and he was praying. Look at what he said. He said, I thank you that I'm not like other men. You are not praying to God to prove that you are better than other believers. You are praying to God because you want to make your relationship with God better. So the Pharisee was saying, I thank you that I'm not like other men. It is not important to mention other men. In the equation of your relationship with God. You are not praying to prove to God that you are better than other men. You are praying to God to make your relationship with God better. So the moment you begin to compare yourself with others, just know that you are proud. Just know that you are saying, God would have done better. He made a mistake. When you begin to think some people are, are, are good looking than you, some people are more handsome, more beautiful than you, you are insulting God. That is pride. If, if you thought you were supposed to have a better nose, why didn't you put it there? Why is Nayikepe or Nakajepa or Tengamira? Then you take a pair of chacha and one way back that you want to be part of mentally. Why did you do that? So when you begin to compare yourself with others, that is an act of pride. It is pride that causes us to begin to compare ourselves with other people. That, that is why the Bible says, be content with what you have. Be content with who you are. And it is pride that causes us to begin to look down on other people. Sometimes we begin to think we are more spiritual than others. Sometimes we begin to feel like, you know, the fact that you stand on the altar, the fact that you come in front to lead prayers, to sing, to preach, or to do anything, it doesn't make you better than those in the audience. 
you are actually a servant of God, serving God's special people in the audience. Why are we going to give an account? It is because at the end of the day, my job is to take care of God's people. The shepherd takes care of God's people. Your boss does not pay you because you are better than the things that you are keeping safe for him. He's paying you to keep the special things for him. So a man of God is not better than the people he's eating. So God has put men above his people to take care of his people, not because they are special, but because he wants something special to come out of his children. He wants them to be safe. He wants them to be fed. He wants them to be well nourished. At the moment, we become proud. We are not going to win souls. Imagine they called Jesus a friend of sinners because he used to associate with people they deemed outsiders. But here is the thing. It was humility that took Jesus to that level. He was not being influenced. He was influencing them for the glory of God. He was preaching the word to them. Number three. How do we demonstrate a bad attitude, pride, like the Pharisee? When we become so confident, so reliant, when we begin to depend on our own righteousness, when we this was what the Pharisee did. And he began to say, Look at me, I'm not like these other men. Extortioners, you know who extortioners are. These are people that maybe they lend money. And maybe they get, um, they help the poor and then they get money with interest back and so much more. And they are just adulterers, people involved in immorality. And I began to say, I fast twice a week, I tithe. I'm not like these sinners. So, in other words, you will say that I am righteous. The righteousness that we are enjoying today is not ours. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, the Bible says, He made him whom you know sin, so that we can become the righteousness of God. We are righteous not because of what we have done, we are righteous because of what Jesus did. Yes, we are supposed to do good works. But good works will not save us. There are many people who kept 
commandments, but they were not fit for the kingdom of God. Let me say it again. There are many people who kept the Ten Commandments, but they were still not fit for the kingdom of God. One good example is the, is the Pharisee. He was talking about how he was, he thought he was keeping the law of God. But there was something that he was lacking. The posture of what? Your ability. In, in prayer, you don't tell God how strong you are. In prayer, you express how vulnerable you are before God. You expose your weaknesses and God gives you his strength. In prayer, there is an exchange that takes place. You are giving God your weakness and he's giving you his strength. We are supposed to do good works. They are expected of us when we are born again, but good works will not save us. You find that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. We are saved by grace, not by works, lest any man should boast. So good works are expected of us when we are born again, but it is not good works that will save us. We are saved because we have expressed our faith in Jesus Christ. We have to be humble because the Bible is very categorical in that regard. The Bible tells us that our righteousness is as filthy rags. And even if you want to understand the all of us have been sinful. Look at that. All of us have been sinful. Two of us. Even our best actions are filthy through and through. If God was to check even the best that you have done, you can still find fault with it. Because of our sins, we are like leaves that wither and are blown away by the wind. Let's read the seven. No one tends to you in prayer. Now, there are many people who pray. No one goes up to you for help. You have hidden yourself from us and have abandoned us because of our sins. Sometimes it looks like God has abandoned us. It's, it seems like God has hidden himself from us. It seems like God is silent. Not because he is, but because of sin. The truth of the matter is when we are born again, we are given the righteousness of Jesus. Not that Don't forget. The Bible says, while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. Because so many times. Do you know why a lot of prophets were sent? They were all sent to preach the message of redemption. To tell people to repent. It was all in the effort of God. 
trying to win man back to himself. Until he had to bankrupt heaven in order to finally win man to himself. So now, the Pharisee was very proud. We have seen that number one, he didn't come to ask for God's mercy. He came to tell God the good things he was doing. He came to tell God who he was. Like he was telling God, do you know who I am? <laughs> Hallelujah. I know you are Jehovah Jireh, but I'm also Mr. Good Man. But the tax collector had an opposite attitude. What did he do different? Let me give you three points again. Number one, the tax collector stood at a distance. One is the Pharisee stood up to show himself. The Bible says he stood at a distance. He did not even step forward to be seen by men. Why? Because he didn't come to be seen by men. He came to be seen by God. If you always come in God's presence, wanting to be seen by men, men are the ones who will answer your prayers. Let me tell you one thing. Today, there are many people who go to church and they want to make sure that the man of God has to see them. They go for big meetings. They want to make sure that before they leave, they have to say hi. Let me tell you one thing. We attended big meetings. We attended studying in the dark for a very long time where thousands of people would come. And they are there. No single day did we even just go there and say, Let's go Because for, 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 for me and my colleagues, what we looked at was we are going there to pray. That's what the tax collector did. He didn't, he didn't come in God's presence in this scripture to be seen by man. The Bible says he stood at a distance. Man could not see him, but God saw him. Man could not hear his voice, but God heard him. Let me tell you one thing. We are human beings. There are times you will come to church and your hope is at least the pastor should come and greet me. At least the pastor should come and say hi. At least the pastor should, should have God speak to you. He needs to give him that. And then when, when, when it doesn't happen that Sunday, it is very clear that our pastor is not hearing. There are people even say, Let me tell you one thing. We are human beings. Your pastor will disappoint you. Your fellow believers will disappoint you. Sometimes they will not see you. They will not appreciate you. You must concentrate on God. Why am I saying this? I'm not perfect. There is going to be a day I will not meet your expectations. Man may disappoint you, but God will Imagine maybe the day 
Tandiko na linaswe. Kribiti. Those small rooms, maybe we appreciated him in church. And we said, ah, Tikona, he was cleaning the toilets. And we appreciated him in church. And here comes Mr. Uh, Mr. Manza, Tikona Manza. And maybe the day he does the same, we don't appreciate him publicly. You know what happens there? You begin to feel like, so let me tell you one thing. We may not appreciate you the way we have appreciated others. Sometimes it's not even deliberate. Sometimes we've forgotten, we've become overwhelmed. But let me tell you one thing. God is proud of you. God is proud of you. Bible says whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. So what did the tax collector did? Let's go back to our scripture. He stood far off. He didn't even say a lot of things. He said, have mercy on me, sir. There is something that happens when we approach God with brokenness. With brokenness. That collector never had any spirituality, never had any righteousness to offer to God. But what he offered was a broken heart. A broken spirit. A contrite heart. He would not even look up. I want us to read Psalm 51 verse 17. He could not even look up. He humbled himself. And the Bible says, my sacrifice is a humble spirit. Oh God, you will not reject a humble and repentant heart. You can see that even if the tax collector was a sinner, he was not proud of the kind of life he was living. He said, God have mercy on me. Number two, we demonstrate an attitude of humility by not comparing ourselves with anyone, with others. The tax collector did the opposite of what this other man did. He didn't say, Father God, I am a sinner. I don't tie like this one. He just said, I am a sinner. Have mercy on me. Instead of looking at others around him, He was talking to God. Humble people realize that there is nothing that can be gained from comparisons. Don't compare yourself with other people. And number three, we demonstrate an attitude of humility by depending on God's mercy and God's righteousness. The Pharisee, we saw that he had faith in his own righteousness. The Pharisee, we see that he depended on what he felt was good at. But the tax collector said, have mercy on me. 
meaning he his confidence was in the mercy of God. We should. Have you noticed that there is how uh, Mrs. Zulu taught on that one? She was talking about uh, confidence. She said confidence is not arrogance. You remember that teaching? Uh, Hebrews 4 verse 16. Let us boldly approach. And then the context of that scripture. Why are we boldly approaching God? That we may huh? we may obtain mercy. So what we see in that scripture is that our confidence must be based on the truth that God is merciful. Not that we have done something well. Ephesians 2 verse 4 quickly. The Bible says the mercy of God is so abundant and his love for us is so great. Look at that scripture. God's mercy is so what? Abundant and his love for us is so great. We approach him because his mercy is so abundant and his love for us is so great. Even the Apostle Paul, we're able to see how he said, I have I have fought a good fight. I've run my race. But let me tell you one thing: regardless of him saying that, he never put his confidence in the flesh. Let's read Philippians 3 verse 3 quickly. For we, for we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely. I rely on you, Jesus. I rely on you. I depend on you, Jesus. I depend on you. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done. It's not because of what we have done. It's because of what Jesus did. Why? And he says, we put no confidence in human effort. Even the best that we can do can still be found with a fault. We should not put our confidence in the flesh. We have to trust in Jesus. Because of Jesus and because of our faith in him, we can boldly approach God. And you notice how Jesus concluded our story. He says, God heard the tax collector. He went back home justified and not the other man. And so many times we come in God's presence week after week, day after day. We come with already preconceived thoughts and we decide things and we don't allow the will of God. It's my prayer that God is going to help us to have a posture of humility as we come in His presence. Even the life that God has given us, it is humility that will make you live a life that is of God. 
godlessness is sponsored by pride. Godly living is sponsored by humility. If you begin to live anyhow, you are saying a life in but people are humble, they say this life. This life is not my own. To you I belong. I give myself, I give myself to you. This life is not my own. It is scripture. We don't own this life that we have. It belongs to God. And we are told in First Peter chapter five, verse five, that God opposes the proud; He gives grace to the humble. Pride will disgrace us. Humility will attract the grace of God. So we have to empty ourselves in order for God to fill us with Himself. If we are serious about approaching God. And if we want to see a response from God, we have to approach Him with humility. Sometimes when Timothy is not going to come back, if he to phone and come back to see me and emotion, maybe because he's not sure. But instead, your lapa, we even go to God and say, "In the city, we are in the So, what's wrong to you? Even know, but maybe this is happening because of that. We should have ourselves. The sin of pride is what made Lucifer lose his place. I want us to read our scriptures. We stand to our feet. Posture of humility. Second Chronicles 7 verse 14. Second Chronicles 7 verse 14. I want us to read this scripture together. One, two, three, go. If my people who are called by my will, what's the first thing? And we can even in there. Who humble themselves and pray. There can never be effective prayer without humbleness. Effective prayer is birthed from a place of humility. Sometimes there are even people who this to the pastor. Tell your neighbor, be humble, my sister, be humble, my brother. How can you tell God who wants to find them out? You are in his presence, it's not even more than two hours. We are just in meeting with service, probably it's just within, uh, it's less than three hours. ourselves. Humility means we have to stay there. We have to wait on God. We have to focus on Him so that we don't miss what He has in store for us. I want us to write that. We're going to make a simple prayer. 
I want us to appreciate God. And then you notice that God will never tell us. I will always mention this. God will never tell us to do something that He's never done. So God wants us to be humble because God humbled Himself. Jesus dying for us was God coming down to our level. Jesus Christ was chapter so that the lives here. I want us to pray. We're going to thank God for His mercy. And I want us to pray and say, I humble myself before you. Lord, have mercy on me and teach me to cut myself in a way that will please you when I come in your house. We don't come to church to make jokes. We don't come to church to do our own things. We come to church to see God. I want us to pray in that regard. In the mighty name of Jesus. Father God, we pray. We have ourselves. We want to say thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy, your God. Thank you for calling us this opportunity to be in your presence. In the mighty name of Jesus.
We thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love that is so great. And thank you, Father, for your mercy that is so abundant. Thank you for each and every person in this place. May your heart be upon us. You are merciful, oh God. In Jesus' mighty name, somebody say amen and amen. Hallelujah.